G'day horses, it's Ollie Wildy here from the Wild Horseman Podcast, just doing this week's shout-outs. For people who have recommended movies or left feedbacks or reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. Cam Drummond, Tommy Mitchell, Matt Ashton and Jack Hills will be sending a stubby holder for some ice-cold frothies your way featuring the three boys. Make sure you leave us your details if you haven't already for your postal address at the email address 2wildhorseman at gmail.com or contact one of the boys personally if you have our dates. Cheers, lads. Hello and welcome to the Wild Horseman Podcast, where we trawl the depths of the streaming services for movies with the most epic deaths. I'm Tom. I'm Witty. And I'm Ollie. And today, a 300-year-old evil returns to plague a town that's just had about enough of it. So after a few weeks off, although you won't know that in podcast land, we're back together and we've just finished watching Fear Street Part 1, 1994 on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. Horseman, give us a plot summary. Mate, it is good to be back, although theoretically it doesn't matter to anyone out there because these are consequently just released anyway. Who gives a shit? But it's good to see the boys. Um, This movie is effectively... Well, it's set in 1994. It's one of three, as I found out at the end. Um, it's a town called Sunnyside. Shadyside. Shady, Sunnyvale. Is Sunnyvale the- is the neighbouring town. Shadyside is where some horrifically terrible things have happened since 1666 to present day, which is 1994. Bunch of kids, um, bit of beef with the Sunnyside local town. They've had some massacres go on, go on and um, effectively fire up at some of the their rivals at a candlelight visual. This leads their rivals, the Sunnyside kids, to chase after the shady town fucking kids uh, bus leading to a car accident. Long story short, and obviously I'll get your boys to expand on what's going on and what I'm talking about a bit more. They disturb a great evil that has been there for hundreds of years. This evil, they don't know what to begin with, comes back to wreak havoc on what they think is all four, four or five of these teenagers, but really it's looking for one person and will kill everyone in its path. And it's done this time and again, and they just start piecing this horrific shit together. And uh, it makes for pretty good watching, actually. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, there's some... The, the story's okay. The action's great. The music witty has got a problem with, but we'll get into that. Um, Let's hear Witty's thoughts on the yeah, music right yeah. now, just quickly. Off, off the top, Witty, you've been talking about it all night. Look, I just felt that the music in, in some cases was a bit too epic for the dialogue. So you're like, it's really ramping up and you're like, oh shit, something's going to go down when people are just talking or they're just traveling on a bus or they're 
keep offloading like absolutely classic tunes. You know, you got insane in the membrane, you get into <laughs> that, and then they just switch it with like the blink of an eye to I'm a creep to creep Radiohead, Radiohead, and you're kind of like great tunes. Don't know how to feel. You know, I'm sitting here just holding myself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I do concur. Um, I'll throw it back to Tom right now, but you are right. The the music changes kind of like, how do I feel? What do I feel? You know, and, and you, you you are racing to keep up a bit. But, you know, sick soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, the movie's probably a tad long. There's some fairly lengthy dialogue parts that don't really offer, don't add much to the story. And then, like you said, Woody, there's these bits where they build like to a crescendo of music and nothing happens, nothing at all happens. Like the, the scene where they're inside the membrane, they're on the bus, they're going to go to the game and then they're just driving through their shitty town and Creep's playing. It's the next song. It's like it's like someone hits skip on a CD player. Like that's, that's Well, they're trying like. to use music to create that, the the background of like the respective scene. So you've got the kids on the bus who are like, yeah, shady sides my life. I'm so excited to bloody, for some reason, that they're that pumped up to go to a fucking vigil, which is just think about that for a second. But then the other girl is like, this is actually really a shit life. This is how I feel. But it's just very, it's such a contrast. It's kind of a bit of a musical punch in the face. I think it's because it's such a mashup of a movie. You've got, and the way I look at it, this is Stranger Things blended with Scream and perhaps, perhaps maybe a hint of Evil Dead. You know, Mate, yeah. I, I couldn't have put it better. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Scream and Stranger Things, but it's a, just a bit more than your uh, American slasher. And um, and obviously thrown in the blend there as well is like modern hip hop. There's like classical music. There's a whole range of different things. At times, I did like, uh, and we'll get probably definitely get to one of the scenes, and I'll, I'll break it down there. But maybe, maybe just a bit. Where where are we going? What's happening here? Very uh, Jordan Peele like influence with some of the music choice. So like if you've watched like Us, um, Get Out, things like that, there's some awesome, really non horror movie tracks going on when really stuff scary stuffs happening. And I feel like that's really rubbed off because I mean those movies really, for me, have changed what a scary movie can be like. I mean, in one of their movies, Us, there's like an NWA like fuck the police is playing whilst a family's being murdered by the killer. And you're like, oh, this is this song's sick, but this is terrifying. But like, it's actually he's kind of warped it to the point where I feel like this is really influenced by that. I actually saw that a bit of, a bit around online. People saying that there's sort of a get out feel to this movie. Um, I think they really just tried to hammer home that it's set in 1994. Like, here's a bunch of songs from 1994 that you'll recognise. So this, therefore, this is 1994. Oh, I'll tell you another reason that it's definitely 1994, but it's not correct. Is we see a lady on the television say the murder capital of the United States in 1994. Not true. We've had this before and I love doing this. You guys will be able to guess two of the three places, I bet you. Uh, Los Angeles, probably. And New York. Baltimore. Uh, well, one of them is Richmond, Virginia, which we had last time. That's why it's hilarious. Ah. The other <laughs> one is New Orleans, which was also last time. It topped the murder of the last time I did this. So this is death 1994 per capita. Per capita homicide yeah. rates. And Gary, Indiana. Oh, where Michael Jordan man, is no. from. Gary, Indiana, man. Jeez. Gary. All right. So this worst year on record that year. <laughs> this movie, um, as Ollie said, it's about a group of kids who are fighting for evil from 300 years ago. Um, it's based on the R.L. Stein books. Are you guys Goosebumps fans? Absolutely. 
Oh, I, I, yeah, they really worked on me because I was a little bitch. Yeah. No, that scared, <laughs> scared shit out of me as well. Yeah. But they, these ones, them, yeah. so these ones were written um, between, so the first one was published in 1989. So um, Witty was probably reading it because he was one by then. And he was just a mad dog. Um, I can just picture like a baby Witty with a huge beard <laughs> reading it. <laughs> um, all packed. And then they were, so they were aimed at, at sort of, teenagers as opposed to like pre-teens like the Goosebumps ones but um, R.L. Stein's written uh, he sold more than 80 million of these books for the Fear Street saga and just the Fear Street yeah and that was between 89 and 2003 um, and they've been on a whole variety of uh, bestseller lists um, but yeah basically this was going to be made as a TV show in 1997 um, Viacom Productions had inked a deal to do it uh, then they ran a pilot and I think it was like the worst pilot they ever ran or something. So, <laughs> they scanned that idea. Rated and then R for retarded. And then it got bought. I think Witty got bought by 20th, uh, 20th Century, Century Fox, Fox and then shelved because of the pandemic or something like that. It's taken a long time for this to reach the TV screen, that's for sure. Whoa, yeah. whoa. So, when would 20th Century have bought it? Because that's a long time of developmental hell. Yeah. It, basically, they bought it in, 20, I think, 2018. 2018. And, then, so, and then they got bought by Disney. So it was shelled for like 14 straight years or something before they bought it. Yeah. Jesus. And then it was going to have a theatrical release and COVID came along and so they decided to release... Uh, so they sold the rights to Netflix and they released Fear Street Part 1, Part 2 and Part 3 in three subsequent weeks. As really? Like a, as a series, yeah. Cool. That's a good idea. Re- I mean, recently as well. It was last yeah, year? 2021. No, or 2021. Yeah. So we still have, we still have two more installments to maybe get a bit more background and... Maybe level yeah, it's it out. Interesting a bit. that they released them in reverse order, like reverse chronological order. So 1994, then 1978, and then 1666. Not a bad idea, really, because obviously in this in this movie, people start referring to it's happening again. We don't get too far with that. This one is, you know, a thriller, fast paced. You know, tweens getting chased, teens getting chased by wielding axe murderers and you know, scream slashes and all this kind of stuff. We don't really know what's going on, why it's happening. It's entertaining enough, but there's definitely questions at the end. 100%. And I think I'm not that surprised they started with 1994 when one of them's the 1970s and it goes as far back as the 1600s by the look of it because one, audiences I think have been very hammered by that sort of 18th century horror stuff in the last 10, 15 years, there's been a shitload of haunting movies and possession movies that are set before the internet age, before the modern period we're in. And like Witty says, it kind of is, turns it into a bit of a, not a cliffhanger, but a, you know, you if you like this genre, you want to want to find out more. And, um, you know, because of how Netflix is structured, folks, um, we I didn't see the picture on the third one seems to have some of the characters transition across. But uh, that's not a spoiler because we don't know who, we haven't told you who yet, so... Yeah, I got a bit frustrated watching it without because there was a lot of not great explanations for a lot of the things that were happening. But I think you're right in that it entices you to watch the second one because then you learn more about the first one and then you watch the third one because it'll have the origin story basically. Yeah, there'll be one final cliffhanger that you have to watch the third one for. Right, and I think we all, we all speculate what that might be. Right. There's, a, there's a lot of not great explanations coupled with some not great fucking acting. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's still good, but Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's directed by Lee Yaniak, who <laughs> I had a look at her IMDb. <laughs> IMDb. It's pretty bare, but apart from these three movies, she made a movie in 2014 called Honeymoon. Did you see this one, Woody? No. 
It had a budget of a million dollars. Guess how much it made? Four hundred grand globally. Oh, globally, Winnie might have just hit the nail on the head. What was it called? Honeymoon. Million dollar budget. We went four hundred k globally. Oh, I'll go north of. I'll say one point three million. Twenty four thousand dollars. Oh, oh my god! I made more than that doing nothing last year. <laughs> $24,000, that's like me and you and like five other people, you know, going to the fucking movies a couple of times. Yep. Getting extra large popcorns. Yep. And that was her first, that was her movie director debut and then she came back and and Don't they like kill got... you for that? Like don't your <laughs> don't career know. end? I don't know. Oh my God. God, chill. Good comeback. Massive comeback. So, somewhat. Somewhat, yeah. yeah. I mean, not pretty good to get movie. all three. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's have a talk about some of the key scenes in this movie that sort of set the scene. I mean, it's pretty hard to go past the opening scene. And there's a couple of things about the opening scene that I enjoyed and was a bit disappointed by. The first one was that Maya Hawke, the, who is the daughter of Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman, who was in Stranger Things um, and sort of became quite famous for Stranger Things, is the opening scene actor. And she's also in all the, all the trailers. And you're like, oh, she's going to be one of the main characters. Like, I like her. She's a good actor. And she dies in about four minutes. And you're like, right. But well, also died very similar way to... Um, I'll, I'll cut me off there because I'm, I'm going to ruin something. Sorry, keep going. I think Look, I, I didn't know yeah. who the fuck she was until you guys told me. But she's probably the most... I'm guessing she's, she's definitely the most famous offspring in this movie. Don't know about individually by herself. But her parents would be the most famous people associated with this. I think she'd sure. be the most famous person in this movie. I so she'd be the most famous person. Else. Do you reckon no. there's a chance that uh, they're saving her up for the number two and three? Yes. Because it reckon? sounds like too much of a big name to just murk her as cool as it is and as scary as it's supposed to be, like straight off the bat. Yeah. It's kind of like Drew Barrymore in Scream. If you, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, if true you go that, like one, one step high, we've seen that in... The second installment, it looks like Gillian Jacobs, who's from Community. She's been in a couple of other TV shows. So that's probably... And then maybe Max from Stranger Things as well. So pinch a few Stranger Things people. They're the most famous people in this so far that we're, we're aware of. 100%. Um, I hate Stranger Things, so no further comment. <laughs> right. Um, but that opening scene sort of... It doesn't... They never explain why um, Rory... The, first, the guy that does the first massacre. So the whole the premise of the movie is there is a massacre that they're all mourning. Why he becomes possessed or goes insane or whatever it is and kills nine people at a at a, at a mall after closing time. But it kind of sets the tone for the movie. There's something weird is going on. Woody. I don't think I'm ruining anything. Like If you're listening to this, you're either going to watch the movie or you've watched it now. Uh, I read in the trivia section that just before he turns and walks away from his interaction with Maya Hawke, and we really need to figure out what her name is, but I think it's Natasha. It's, that it's, girl. It's Heather. 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 Totally wrong. Um, it's a good a, guess, though. <laughs> a fly lands on his neck, and there's a fly buzzing around on him, and then his face kind of changes as he turns, I think, and then he goes on the rampage. Yeah, the flies are a recurring theme for everyone who's possessed in the movie has a fly buzzing around him. But the the point I'm making is that they don't explain what he did to become possessed. Yep. And maybe that's what 
Why then and there? Yeah, and must must come in the second well, movie. Well, yeah, but also not every single. You know, we'll get into it a bit later on because it is it is a key scene. But they kind of all annoyed the witch directly, like munted with her bloody graveside or offended at her that way. So maybe she just, you know, does it at will. Can I just say, when she's getting chased, like very scream scenes is what I didn't want to say before, but I'm saying it. Very oh, scream scenes. Pretty much it is like step by step, Drew Barrymore getting hacked up at the start of, of Scream. She runs into the center of the mall, which is just a bunch of chairs piled up, like searching where to go. It's like, you're not in a fucking maze. You can see through the chairs. Fucking get going, eh? Like, run. Yeah, fucking oath. And also she started knocking then, them all over. Some can't have to put them up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the goddamn janitor's the dead goddamn in the corner. He got fucking murked after doing a hard day's work. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He was take, he was but you're right. Also, that very, very movie horror trope. And there's another one later in the movie that we all sort of looked at each other when it was happening. But in that is the directionless screaming running where you work there. Let's, let's assume it's not her first day at the sunny or the shady town or whatever the fuck it's called. Shady mall, side. Shady side mall, sunny vale, shady side. She knows how to get out of there. Yeah, you're scared, but she knows how to get out of there. Just makes an absolute fool of herself and uh, dies accordingly. Yeah, so that sets, the scene for the, that sets the scene for the movie Another Massacre. You know, this idea that it's happened before and it's happening again. Um, the other one that I had as, as a key scene was the crash scene that, that Ollie referred to in the opening that, you know, that's when we see the first of the real weirdness, like the blood coming from the nose of um, Sam, one of the main characters, uh, the, f- the flash of, of the witch um, and the weirdness starts from there. And so... I think they're probably the two scenes that were key. They're not my favourite scenes by any stretch, but they sort of set up what's happening in the movie. I think possibly not a key scene because it gets explained and it is what's happening, but when the the girl shows up on the side of the road with the razor blade. Yep. That scene that we yeah, where she's sitting down the side of the road, the dude walks up to comfort her and she whips out a razor blade and slashes his leg and nearly bloody cuts his head off. Then we're seeing that there is more than one psycho. But had we at that point, sorry, quick question. Had we at that point found out that the skull skull face killer was the dude that died? Have we figured that out yet? Or is this... Yeah. Because uh, in the hospital, she pulls off his mask, right? Yeah, and, and it's him. I think yep. it's I think it's yeah. after that, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but old mate's out the front having a piss. That's why he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, and also that girl comes from nowhere. Like she's just suddenly another killer with no yeah. explanation. Can I also ask a question going back to the bus scene? Sorry to cut you off, Woody, but why does the main protagonist girl who's not who who's the whole movie's based around her nose also starts to bleed on the Dina. bus? Oh, Dina. I thought that as well. And, and I, then then nothing else and ever never comes ever to brought that. it up again. Yeah. I, I'm like cuz she screams your nose is bleeding yeah. and then and then nothing happens. She throws yeah. a Kool-Aid like they won the fucking Super Bowl. Yeah. I um I also had the exact same thought. So I didn't understand that and yeah. it's never mentioned again. And the same thing happens to Sam. Yeah. Got the, reason, right. yeah. the reason why Sam, the reason why it's all about her is because she got a blood nose from the crash and she wiped her nose and put her hand down on the ground and touched the witch's, I don't know, so burial just un- side. Yeah, unlucky. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the marked, reason why. Yeah. yeah, she was marked. Yeah. And I was about to say, how come that, Chick showed up and nearly killed uh, Simon is his name. Yep. He's also in uh, White Lotus. Yep. Actually quite funny. 
Um, he's good in this movie as well. He's pretty good, actually. He's quite quite good quality. Pretty good. Annoying head, but good. Uh, Realising he, he had a shirt with her blood all over it on. So, obviously, something that you find out is that these... Um, are they demons? Ghosts? Yeah, I mean, they're sort of like... But they're kind of like... Know, the demon, yeah, a demon would be a good way of describing it because a demon's not like a, it's not like the Melbourne demons who are largely shit and come good every while and then. They're just like, they've manifested into a form, but they're like a, they're a demonic soul. Yeah. Or are they the killers from the past? Yep. Yes. That's what, that's what I think. But but they're completely intact. Like they're not decayed or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they also can put themselves back together. Yeah. Like the Terminator too. I think, we're going down, <laughs> I think we're going down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what's going on when it, maybe it's in the second movie. Yeah. I think you're right. Yep. Yep. Um, what other scenes do you think were sort of integral to this movie? Um, well, I think one that really obviously again, now I know, well, you did let me know there's sequels at the start, but I know that there's three. Um the big one is the call back from the survivor and the repossession of Sam. For me, we are like, oh, fuck, this is just going to keep going. But they've now introduced another key character. Uh, don't know. Like, it kind of took me by surprise that that lady calls back and she, you know, it's very movie trope that she momentarily before some bad shit happens lets her know. But that that's quite a key scene in terms of the effort they did and like, spoiler alert, folks, but like Witty said before, you probably watched the movie you were going to anyway. They've lost some of their friends for real. Those fuckers are dead. And then this witch is like, nah, I'm still, you know, the witch, the witch hasn't even fully revealed herself. She just sent her, she sent her fucking C team up there. Yeah. And it kind of sets up, it sets up for, for a, a sequel, but you actually get a prequel. Mm-hmm. So that movie, the end of this movie remains pretty unresolved. So, like, we see at the end, Sam's tied up um, after being repossessed and the movie just kind of ends there. Then the next movie, you're going back 20 years. So, these characters now gone. Yeah. So, what would have been, I mean, arguably what would have been better is if she, Sam kills Dina, maybe the, not Josh, I really like that guy, um, kills them, that's done. So, we've got an end and now we're working our way back to how it began. Or maybe what they're going to do is is tack on another one after, because there's a but lot of. It books. doesn't matter because that it's, lady says it never ends, and she died, so she's still alive. But has she been getting tormented her whole fucking life? It's funny you say that because in an interview um, with Yahoo Entertainment, Arl Stein said there's still talk about more Goosebumps movies, and I also hear rumors about more Fear Street movies for Netflix because the first ones did so well last summer. And then he goes on to say, those films kind of shocked me because they were all R-rated and I've never done anything R-rated. All those teenagers were getting slashed. I was like, suddenly, I have a slasher movie. <laughs> <laughs> so R.L. Stein must be a true bowler. Yeah, I think he's probably uh, quite rich. Definitely. Going, like, just a quick one. <laughs> Before when we said Fear Street sold 80 million, like that, that novella series is, has sold 80 million. Goosebumps has sold like over 400 million. Four hundred million copies of the hardback man. Oh, he's got do- he's got he's some, got serious cash. Yeah. yeah. Um, one scene I w- will bring up because we always talk about how shit house cops are in horror movies. Uh-huh. And to be fair, this isn't really a horror movie. It's not that scary. There's something. It doesn't really make you afraid. Like Evil Dead was pretty scary, probably because of the music, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mate, you're probably yeah. right. There's something about it. Like when the But if a killer runs past a, a fucking main yeah. character as well, you're like, well, he's not even going after every yeah. count. You know, like what? so you start to go you become a bit of a spectator because some of the main characters on screen are spectators to this one girl's potential demise. Yeah, I think and also I think we've got to remember that it was based on books that were aimed at teenagers, but it is an R rated movie. Um but yeah. the scene I was gonna say is cops in horror movies are just terrible. The sheriff in this movie is a pretty redundant character, doesn't do anything at all. Um, and then his mate in the police station, who just said, wouldn't be- won't believe what they're saying about the hospital, reminded me of one of the great moments in television history. <laughs> yeah, right, lady. An elephant ran through your front yard. Okay. Wickham. Yeah, right, mister. Mm-hmm. An elephant just knocked over your mailbox. Okay. Wickham. Yeah, right, buddy. Liquor store robbery officer down. Sure. <laughs> and I'm Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's yeah. funny. That, as soon yeah. as I got, I was just like, I was like, Man, the, this is These guys, my summation of them is we uh, recently did wrong turn. Poor old police officer rocks up, takes an arrow through the fucking head within seconds of getting there. I think you made the point he might have responded to a radio signal or the fire. We're not sure. At least the guy responded. These two are so keystone. They're such fucking gimp cops. One of them vehemently denies the idea of a murder in the highest murder rate per capita town, of which I think we said, well, I don't know how many. I reckon there's probably 10,000 people, between eight and 10,000 people in this town, right? you got kids there telling him we've got bodies at the hospital. The night before, nine people got whacked at the frigging shopping mall. I mean, you would, you'd probably take it seriously. He boots them out. And the other guy is very much just for convenience. Like, we need a serious cop character now, so you come back in. So, what have you been fucking doing? Okay, how about this for a theory? The cop, who seems oblivious to everything, doesn't want to believe it. One of the last scenes of him, if not the last, is him dropping a note through someone's door saying it's happening again. Uh, so, yeah, Sheriff Good, right? Yeah, I had that down. I did not see that. I was going to bring that up but in at my questions at the end, but I'll, we'll do it now. Who is he, whose house is that? And it's never mentioned again. We don't know. And I think that is going to be a point that links these two movies. I think that he might be present um, in the next in, uh, installment, maybe as a, a younger character, a young man that's at that camp. Is it the survivor lady's house? Yep, that's a good That's a pretty because good call. Because we don't call, see yeah. it again and we don't see her apart from a voice on the phone. Yeah. That's a pretty good call. Because... It, he has enough airtime to be somewhat significant, but not enough to actually play a part, right? He really doesn't do much. Um, and they didn't kill them off. And he's not dead, and he's done that. So I think that we'll probably see him in the next one, perhaps. But I'd give it an E-grade effort of policing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and you made the point, Ollie, like there appears to be two cops in a 10,000-person home of uh, town dealing with like just massive amounts well, of murder. Homicide rates through the roof, like a, a backlog of cases that would rival the worst neighborhoods in New York City or Los Angeles or New Orleans. And there's like two guys, you, you, the overtime would be ridiculous. I mean, the city would be bankrupt just paying their fucking salaries in overtime. It's just ridiculous. It's, someone to help them. I, I was actually going to make a point. Um, one of my notes wrote down was, and I brought it up to Tom whilst watching, um, would such a town with such a frequent mass acts of murderous violence not sort of just be sequestered by the federal government to be like, We're the, you can't live here anymore. This is just no good. 
shut it down and fuck it off. Like it, it couldn't exist. This could not happen for this long. Hundreds of years of just killings. Yeah. I mean, look, if if you've had a string of multiple homicides in brutal ways, I'm pretty sure the FBI is going to be there. So, someone's got to, because someone's got to take responsibility. <laughs> uh, yeah, another thing I want to bring up, I thought it was a bit clumsy how Josh, they used Josh to sort of explain the whole backstory in that one go, where he's just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then she's back, and we're doing it all again. It's like, how do you know that? Yeah, like, why I know does you're he know on, that? Why, you're on the forum with your mate, who we never find out who that is, <laughs> um, the queen of... Uh, Queen of Fear or whatever Queen she of is, darkness. Like, Queen of Darkness. Um, but that, that, I thought that was just a bit clumsy. Like they just had they had to give you some backstory because it didn't really make sense, and they just used him. Great actor, by the way. He was in um, Ride Along. Uh, oh, it, but it happened, I love him. Actually, he's great. It happens so often. Like how do if we're looking at this as a as a conventional setting, how the fuck do people pluck these supernatural theories out of anywhere? And that's the beauty of film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, absolutely. I was sitting there thinking, how the fuck? And in, I mean, obviously watching movies, how the fuck do they come up with these plot, like, you know, these plans and understandings of what the fuck's going on? Oh, it's got to be these um, psycho killers from the past 50 years, 100 years. Got to be them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're fucking jumping to an extremely ridiculous conclusion. But uh, sometimes a stupid answer is the correct one, except when I'm trying to do maths. Do you guys have any other scenes? I think we covered it pretty well. No, cool. I think it's pretty um, good. I don't know if there's a budget for this. I didn't see one. There won't be a gross, obviously, because it was in it was on Netflix. But I don't know how much. I'd love to have a crack at the budget though, because yeah. there's a fair bit going on. I don't know how much on. they make. I don't know how much they cost to make a lot. Netflix movies. I don't know. Maybe sixty million. Ready? Do you have a budget? I don't have a budget, but instead, because this is a it has been re- released on Netflix, they don't have budget gross. Uh, data available so what i did instead was i looked up a couple of fun facts on how much it costs for a netflix movie how much it costs for a netflix series um so that we actually can have some understanding or our listeners can go okay this is what it costs to be watching this movie right now so what i couldn't find was for a movie like this how much a netflix buying it for from Disney or 21st Century, they don't actually say. But the rule of thumb to make a Netflix production is $100 to $200 million. Holy shit. Oh, that is a lot of money. I know. That's for, what for, like to make a movie that goes on Netflix. To Netflix make their own. That's, yeah, that's like, like the budget of Netflix originals. Yeah. So that's like, you know, um, what's that? What's the Rock and, and Ryan Reynolds movie? Red Notice. Red Notice. So like that, no one's paying to watch it though. Was, like, was Grey Man one? Uh, it was Great Man's one. Yeah, that's an epic movie. That's yeah. epic. There's been, but, good, but there has been some good movies. Though, it, I guess if those are the budgets of the movies, is that why Netflix is? And I'm not being critical. I I have Netflix and watch all the time. Is that why its monthly cost is increasing far more rapidly than like the Disney platform and stuff like that? So Disney's currently thirteen dollars a month. Netflix is in at around twenty two, twenty three. But is that because they're pumping out their own content now as well? You could be very right because the next fun fact is Netflix are projected to ramp up their spending to $19 billion by 2025 on their production. Holy shit. Yeah, I think a lot of it's got to do with that. All the big production houses, you know, your Disney's, Paramount, um, HBO have got their own streaming services now. And so they're taking back control of their titles, which means Netflix doesn't have as many licenses. It's a very good point as well. So they yeah. need to keep content because otherwise... 
people stop watching. That's right. So like they have like um you know prestige TV like Stranger Things. They have big budget movies like Red Notice, and then they have whatever other things they've got as well going on. But they need new content because otherwise, like you just stop using it because you can get more stuff from Disney or more stuff from Paramount that you actually want to watch. One hundred percent, mate. I mean. Put it this way, uh, I think you guys made the point that the, the only reason I reckon this hasn't happened is someone like an MGM who um, may no longer be in existence as its own company, which is sad. But imagine if they were still going and made their own platform, they'd be taking huge percentage of productions over the last 100 years off everyone else. So a lot of other companies will, like HBO, look at the classics that, that no one will ever get again that will stream on Netflix, like The Sopranos, The Wire, Oz, like Boardwalk Empire, all these things. It doesn't surprise me that like, we need to counteract that in the net. Well, from three years ago for the next 10 years, so that everyone goes, oh, the best show I've ever seen is a Netflix original. Makes sense, but it obviously costs a shitload. Absolutely. So, look, a little good look, little. <laughs> good looking little chicken. <laughs> we will edit that. <laughs> good little look behind the scenes of you know, some of the numbers that Netflix is spending and what's happening. Yeah. That was actually really interesting. I wonder what you're getting paid then if you're the main characters in this. I, I guess I guess quite a lot because there, there's not much in the way of set design going on in this movie. Like it's mostly shot on in outdoors areas on sort of generic looking streets. Sadly enough, probably part of an abandoned city in the United States, which is used, I guess. Well, like maybe we can discover there's shitloads of that. I can look it up and we can do it in another episode because this is a pretty big rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. Because then we have to start thinking like, 20th century made it, so they would have paid the actors. So how much did they pay the actors and how much did Netflix pay them? You know, it all adds up. Who paid for the coffee? The man had to bring his coffee cart. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's dig our way out of this rabbit hole by uh, heading to our favourite segment. Oh, yes. And the it's jets. all going to be the same. It is going to be the same. <laughs> um, but the guest numbers yeah, won't be different. Let's, uh, let's get our guesses out of the way, Ollie. Oh, mate, I did my best to write these down. Bloody just shuffle these papers around. Um, and I, I think I got very close. I also did it with um, some description. I've got one, two, three, I'm going to say on screen, including historically referenced to kills that we very, very briefly see. Like, for example, the girl who attacks him with the switchblade, she massacres her housemates or whatever or her flatmates, and you see one of the people getting slashed on camera. Ooh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I force myself to include them because it's a, it's a you know that's a guaranteed murder. So, I'm going to say 16. See, I, didn't, I, I went the other way with this. I went with only the murders that occurred from when the movie started in, in the time, in the story time of this movie. So, I didn't use any of the historical stuff they showed, but I included the nine murders from the shopping center and I got... 14. Still well. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm right. No, I mean, I'm right but I, 20, I, I, 27 I, episodes. I, <laughs> I didn't think, I didn't even think to consider um, adding in the ones that, that happened on screen, but were from the previous times, even though they did actually happen in this movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I do know what you mean because I watched it. <laughs> so look, the, the counter death is 15. So you're. Pretty much spot on. Split the fucking hairs. I don't know. But it could go up to roughly 23 with non-counted deaths. Now, I'll give you a very quick summary. 
of what this breakdown is, there's essentially eight main deaths. Main characters that play a role or or I seen. Um the Skullface Slasher, Maya Hawk, Peter, Stephanie, Nurse Betty, mm-hmm. Kate, Simon, and Sam technically dies, drowns at the end. Oh, see, I didn't count. Yeah, pay that. I've got that. all of them except I didn't count Sam. The rest of the fillers. Oh, I didn't that. actually either because she's barely dead. Three more victims, and then there are four deaths that are counted in flashback scenes. So they're the 15. The non-counted deaths are two other more victims killed off screen, which begs to be even fucking see them. <laughs> Christina Marlowe oh, killed off screen. Jessica Van killed off screen. Timothy well, one of them would be the nurse with her throat slit. No, she's Calavoda died Stephanie. of a drug overdose. Ruby's friend throat slit off screen. Ruby's boyfriend stabbed off screen. Ruby Lane committed suicide off screen. Yeah, right. Okay. So... How do people even know that? <laughs> Didn't even see it. <laughs> Just guessing. Got a hunch. I'll tell you what. They all kill themselves. Like I already mentioned I enjoyed the opening and then there's a whole lot of not much. There's, there's the, the Nurse Betty death was a good one. I thought I love a good close-up knife through the throat. Prison style shankings. Yeah, and then like yeah. just keep getting pushed in. That's slower <laughs> one as well. Slower one, slower yeah. One. Really Straight enjoying it. And then I was actually thought we, were, we had been done over by the gore rating on IMDb when until we got to the <laughs> the final showdown because I was like man like there is, there's a few deaths but they're they're pretty tame and nothing then, you haven't seen before friends yeah and then the final sort of 25 minutes like they took a bunch of drugs and just kicked it into her overdrive <laughs> and just fucking went berserk um, I think they wanted to make sure they could get it on the screen so they saved it you know what I mean but well, it's got an R rating for a reason, people. And I reckon we should do get that. We should all yell at the same time our favorite kills because last time that went really well. Yeah. So yeah. we should definitely do it. I again. know. I can feel that this is going to go well. Three, two, two one. one. Bread so, slicer. Bread slicer. Yeah, we said bread slicer. Yeah, I said bread slicer. What did you say? I think you said cop that gets pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah. bread slicer. Talk yeah. us through it, Horseman. Oh, mate, you're giving me the honours on a big one here. I was actually going to deflect this one to the huge dub, but I'll do my best. Effectively, uh, Ghostface is attacking... Give me the character's name. Kate. Kate. Uh, she's done her very best to hold him off for some time around the joint. Um, uh, she's been had her head smashed into a cake. We She's been stabbed already in the midriff. And we're all thinking, oh, she's probably... At this point, you're thinking she's going to survive this because they're going to pull off this miracle death over at the fucking fish tank. Then old mate uh, Ghostface or Skeleton Mask grabs her one last time, plants her on her back and just starts pushing her down a metallic table towards an active full loaf of bread slicer. So think about maybe a 40 centimeter width, blades every five centimeters just soaring away and just rams her head through it. <laughs> fucking straight through it. And then it takes a side shot of her getting sliced and it goes up the top. And because she's got a cake on her face, it looks like a cake human head just getting cut up for your fucking bloody kid's birthday party. And then we get to see it after of just literally her brains and shit just hanging out. And her crush, the little black punter, comes around the corner and just sees fucking brains and titties and asses everywhere. It's it, fucked it's, up, man. It's it's a ten. Because also, a, it is a fucking a ten. She, she's like struggling away, and it's that point where you're like, oh, you're not. 
you know, it, you, you, she's dangling there. She's not going to go through this thing. And then all of a sudden, slowly, her head, you're oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and I think she's like still screaming and shit while her head's getting pushed through well, it. So. I know me and Tom, would, we were cheering as it happened in, in disgust. And I think Witty just, he's a stoic man. It holds it, it on the inside. It actually makes a lot of sense with a fun fact that I've got that I'll reveal in a minute. But um, well, I'm looking forward to that. Hands down, best death. We no no arguing there. Close second would be Sledgehammer to the old temple. I liked that. I think it was an axe. Yeah, axe to the an head. axe. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. Boy, even so, that was a good that, one. That was a good one. They they could, and they put those two in quick succession, and so you got this double whammy of excellent, excellent, excellent death followed by axe to the head. You're like, whoa. It leaves you thinking. Well, I wonder what the other movies have got in them. Yeah. Um, but that the bread slicer one just took me back to um, Hundred Bloody Acres <laughs> and um, uh, Dale and Tucker Tuck Dale. Yeah, yeah Tucker and Dale. That, that shredding style of death is just yeah. so fucking hectic. Yeah. <laughs> that was particularly hectic because because of the type of blades. Yeah. You can see both sides. You can literally see her going through it. You can see her going through it, but she until it like cut into her skull and into her brain, she would have known what was happening. Like. For a remarkably long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. A few seconds of that would feel like eternity. Yeah. That is, yeah, pro- probably the best death we've seen in nearly uh, 15 months of doing this podcast. It's got to be right up there. I mean, right there's been some there. I mean, absolute belters. The Bone Tomahawk one. Some of the Starship oh, be pretty deaths. hard to knock that off the still, top spot. Still the king, but I this think, is very I think, creative. Uh, I think that's probably got to still be number L number or no, you know. But I mean, this is up there. Excellent. Uh, gore ratings, generally? Oh, I mean, apart from that one ten, I would say seven. Yeah, I agree. I'd say about a seven. Yeah, They're, nothing. The three of us and any of our fans would, would be pretty hardcore at this stage yeah. if you've watched every movie on this past. Nothing you've seen before, you haven't seen before, apart from perhaps that death. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Seven overall, absolute ten for the number one kill. Uh, Witty, let's get into some fun facts. So to kick it off with the fun fact about, I'm calling it bread slicer fun fact. Uh, the art department, props department told the director, uh, look, it's just not possible to put a human head through a bread slicer. And the director said, yeah, you bloody can. I reckon you can. Give it a go. So they got a watermelon as a prop to put through the bread slicer. And what do you know? It actually worked. Wait, so they actually had to do a proof of concept yeah. to get it into the movie. Of course it would fucking work. What, oh. do they think that wouldn't work to a human? Human heads aren't that fucking strong. Oh, but like a bread, a bread slicer, I can definitely see the, the both yet yeah, for and against. But um, maybe it'll just funny jam that, up on you, I guess. Yeah. Funny that the props department were the ones who stood strong and said, no, it's not going to work, and they gave it a crack. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, It's interesting that they made them, yeah, test reality of it, the potential of it. I would have thought you could just do whatever you fucking wanted in movies. <laughs> I'd say the rest of the, the fun facts on this are probably more our Easter eggs shout-outs. There's a lot, quite a few to um, author Robert Lawrence, who is R.L. Stein in the opening scene. Uh, a few books on the shelf have got Robert Lawrence on it. That is uh, R.L. Stein himself. Very nice. He did visit the set during filming to drop in on everyone. So it was a kind of a, a f- awesome moment for the actors and, and people involved. The axe scene with Axeman is coming through the door is, in, is a homage to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Bashing through there. So say that. Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, obviously, Scream. Heaps of Scream in this. A lot of Scream. Opening scene is about Scream. So, one that I've also thrown in is um, in just one of our final scenes, 
uh, after they've drowned Sam in order to kill her and then bring her back to stop all the ghosts. Um, Dina proceeds to pump about six EpiPens square into her chest to revive her. <laughs> Literally like playing whack-a-mole on her chest. So I looked up how much adrenaline is in an EpiPen and there is 0.30 milligram. How much does it take to OD? It takes seven milligrams OD. But don't quote me on this. I'm not a medical professional. One source said four and then another said seven or eight. So it takes quite a bit. Um, She punched six EpiPens for 1.8 milligrams. Yeah. And you need seven milligrams to OD. Well, I guess the the minimum one is four. So she's still in the safe zone. She could, they probably could have punched it with a few more. But fuck me dead. I mean, she doesn't actually give them any chance to because I know they're supposed to be effectively instantaneous. Because yeah. you know, going off my love of the movie Pulp Fiction, where they just smash her in the chest once and she's back to life. But yeah. you know, you someone who's drowned it wouldn't even necessarily work anyway. Oh, the, that was what I was going to say. Like, when do they use adrenaline for drowning? Wouldn't you start with CPR and just try and get the water out of the lungs? Yeah, god damn, that took a while. Your heart pumping with water in your lungs, you're still dead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're thinking like, when, just gonna, when were they going to actually try CPR? Yeah, yeah. yeah. or ex- so expira- like, exasperated, sorry, for so long, and then it's like, oh, CPR, and yeah. it's like, yeah, fucking finally, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Uh, good fun yeah. fact, though, would have survived. I thought it was a good one. Actually, sorry, missed this fun fact. Um, the vending machine scene where he punches in. Apparently, uh, the kid is punching in uh, an old cheat code for video games back in the '90s called Konami. And apparently it's a press up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, or something like that. That's how he gets all the chocolate out of the vending machine. Cool. Very cool. I did I did wonder if I wish in real, real life if there was like a code that made you like oh, run a test cycle or something so that all the things moved to make sure it's all working. Yeah. There must have been, surely. There must have been, because they weren't that sophisticated, those machines, compared to now. Like there was no it was all mechanical. So they would have had to make sure that it was going to release one chocolate, not all of them, and that all of them worked. To find that so code. says I, offending machine expert. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a 6.2, uh, the first installment of Fear Street, 6.2 on IMDb. Uh, filming took place in Atlanta, Georgia, which seems to be a popular spot for our horror movies. Quite a few places in Atlanta, Georgia. Must be partially a shithole. Um, they've classified it as a horror supernatural slasher. And, uh, and that about wraps it up from Fun Facts. Very nice. Oh, uh, just oh. have a final question about the rating and um, how do they gauge success on Netflix? Would that be streams per yeah, movie? Yeah, so it's, it's okay. done on st- streams and subscriber editions, I think. Okay. So like... Because R.L. Stan said the success of these movies, what is he basing that on? Yeah, I I'm think assuming. it's how many subscribers it, it we attracted, can't which is very hard to tell, and also just how many streams it has. So yeah. you can tell they, they obviously can know exactly what demographic is watching it because all your, they have all your data. No, no that's fair play. Yep. Um, overall, pretty good movie. Very good deaths at the end. Maybe a bit long. I actually am unnecessary excited. rooting scene. Yeah, that. Yep. Yeah, again, unnecessary. Never happened. Uh, <laughs> and I'm ex- interested to watch the second one and probably the third one. Yep. Enough to enough to entertain you, keep you interested, see where it goes. Absolutely. And um we're gonna do our we're gonna rattle off our ending here, guys, as well. But please, please 
give us a shout out directly related to things like do you want to listen to, listen to sequels, especially things which are trilogies or might have prequels. Um, if you're loving it, then you know make sure you leave a comment. Yep, and so of course. As Ollie just said, here's our saying goodbye. And once again, thanks for joining us on the Wild Horseman Podcast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the Wild Horseman Podcast. We're all on Instagram. I'm at Tom Wildy. Ollie is at Wildy Ollie. And Witty is at Witty151. If you like what we're doing here, hit the subscribe button, tell your family and friends, and leave a five star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us to get the show out there. And if you do leave a review on Apple Podcasts or email us a suggestion, we'll send you a prize. They are here. They are being sent out. So get involved. And you can hit us up on 2wildhorsemen at gmail.com or any on any of our socials with a movie idea and we'll stick it on our list. And until next time, we are the Horsemen.